Annyeong haseyo. Welcome to Afternoon of Delight. We're Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare recs for good measure, because why not ride the Hallyu wave all the way to shore? So grab some duck bookie and listen to your new favorite unease. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hi there. So, Megan, I have a question um, because I know that this is something that you would love to talk about. I understand that one of your favorite K-pop groups made a comeback this week, and we're still kind of like flummoxed by the term comeback, Amy and I, because, you know, we're not boomers, but a single is a comeback, essentially, or an album. I don't know. Explain it to us. Give us the lowdown on all the things. From what I know, which I'm still not an expert, like I'm and I'm like a late K-pop bloomer, I guess. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so a comeback, a comeback means like they're single, their title track off the album. So when they say that they're having a comeback, it's when they're like releasing essentially like a title track or a single. But yeah, this week, it's ATs who have been really my favorite this year. I I would say that like NCT is who kind of got me into K-pop, but ATs has been just a favorite of mine. So I'm really excited. And the thing about K-pop that's fun is that when they do have a comeback, there is so much content. I mean, they usually do a reality show. They do, you know, live shows on six or seven music shows like every night. It's insane how much content uh, they put out to promote their stuff. And but as a fan, it's really, really fun. And so, yeah, I've just really been enjoying it. They're just a fun group. I feel like I want to mom them, you know, not that they're like not in like a weird fetishizing way. I just really want to make sure they're like fed well and they are they taking melatonin to get their sleep? Like, I'm just concerned about it. But, you know, that's just me being weird. But yeah, so it's been a fun week. (laughs) It's an exciting week. And you'll talk, I'm sure, much more about it when we get to our K-pop rec. I know. And I do thank you for your rec of Thunderous, too. My daughter is a stay and stray kids are very important in our house. But like, I'm in this weird position where I'm like supportive of her fandom. And then kind of the old cougar who's like, well, dang, Bang Chan, look at you and like your very like riveting (laughs) outfit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and like your outfit that's like one bandage full across of, one full of vim. man chest vim and vigor yeah love oh. vim and vigor and like artfully covered nipples and but thunderous really has is catchy and then like they drop it low and they drop it hot and it's just oh they like, do it really yeah i don't know i definitely am always like Whoo, like <laughs> i'm like oh, a golden girl over here yeah. or something <laughs> You're not that old. No, I'm not, but I feel like I'm like Blanche with like my spritz bottle. Like, (laughs) oh, I'm like watering my air plants and listening to the thunderous, getting like some feelings. (laughs) Uh, I know. It's it's so great. No, I am not old as Blanche, but sometimes when I like am looking at someone and I'm like, dang, look at them and they're 24, I'm like, I mean, whatever. Still legal. Anyway, still legal. I mean, that's like out of college age. Right. 24. I mean, I mean, I work with college students, so that probably like gets it. Like, I don't even want to touch get into that area. (laughs) That's true. That makes sense. But I mean, well, in my head, I'm still 24. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm totally. Forever forever and ever. Yeah. I'm not a grown up. No way. I still have stress Mm -mm. dreams. I talk about this with my students sometimes. Like when I get stressed, my most common stress dream is that I haven't graduated because I haven't like I forgot a class that had a certain amount of credit. Yeah, I'm not going to graduate done that recently or missing a final exam. Like I didn't wake up for the final exam. 
that like shit still is in there. So like when they're getting worried about stuff, I'm like, not to break it to you, but like, you know, in 20, you know, 18 years, you're going to still be like having some sort of random, but the relief that I get when I'm like, wait, no, I'm like an adult who doesn't have to think about like how many credits I have is always like this very overwhelming feeling of happiness. Oh, I have dreams all the time where people who are close to me are mad at me. Mm. Like I had a dream recently where my best friend was like really mad at me and like wouldn't talk to me. And we don't really fight like that. I don't think we've ever had a fight. And I've known her since we were 18. And I woke up like I'm talking like my heart was racing. I was like sick to my stomach, convinced that like I lost my friend. (laughs) And I texted her. I was like, I'm like devastated that I woke up. And she was just like, what's wrong? What are you talking about? She's so like logical. She's like, uh, it's fine. Like, I'm not mad at you. I'm like, I know, but my dream you were. And I was like, it, it, it's the worst, man. It feels so real. It does. Yeah. And I wake up convinced, convinced that it's real. Well, anyway. we are talking about Into the Ring today. And we're very excited about it. It's been a drama that we kind of all consider a little bit of an underrated gem. A dream yes, come absolutely. true. <laughs> Yes, there we go. Bringing it back. Oh, there's the segue. Bringing it back. <laughs> that was a very bad segue, but I'm into it. You know what? We'll take it. We'll take it. In the early days of Megan's K-drama watching, or maybe it's better to say extreme hardcore binging, the likes of which I've never seen, <laughs> she came across a newer but lesser publicized drama called Into the Ring, or Memorials, or the literal translation of the title, The Ballot. If you haven't yet watched the drama, which one of those titles makes you want to scramble on over to Vicky and load it on up? Megan, Leah, if you had to go on title alone, would any of the above three do it for you? Speaking of which, Megan, what in the world even drew you to this drama? Because whatever it is, Leah and I are certainly grateful because it couldn't have been the title. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, first of all, out of all the titles, I think the ballot is the best one. So when I first saw the title Into the Ring, I thought... I mean, it's like a boxing drama, which, you know, if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know that that's pretty much like right up my alley. And then I saw the (laughs) poster and I'm like, this is this is not it's not a boxing drama. (laughs) This is not a boxing drama, like not even close. And so I'm still not sure why in the world I started watching this drama. Nothing about local politics. I mean, I vote every election and I do pay attention, but it's not like out of joy, you know, (laughs) so it's not like. Nothing about local politics, like, excites me, okay? Uh, Mostly because it does give me memories of my time as a reporter when I covered, like, I'm talking boring as hell borough meetings in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, about zoning, and school board meetings about budgets. Like, I shudder thinking of those days. The reviews of Into the Ring were really, really good. Uh, And I don't know, I was just in a silly, goofy mood uh, that night, I guess. So I started the drama, and I was immediately hooked by Kusei Ra. And overall, just the way the whole drama was shot, which we're going to talk about that, just has a very modern indie feel to it. And then once I started, I just could not stop. I was just swept up in this story that was just so about so much more than local politics. I don't know. I think for me, I would say out of all of them into the ring is probably my pick just, and I'm like, not the boxer fan in the group, but when you look at the picture and you kind of get a sense of like into the ring and I think of like, you know, local politics and politics in general, kind of like, you know, having that like metaphor of like duking it out. I liked that and appreciate it probably more than the other two. And fun fact about me was I was um, in student government when I was in 
um, college. It was a pivotal moment for young Leah's life and, you know, would go and like up to, you know, the state capitol and like give testimony on higher education funding and, um, you know, ran, did elections and it was really just like super fun and I miss it. And while I have no political aspirations at the moment, some days I think, you know, someday I would like to try to run for city council and that I like see city council and what they do. And I'm like, oh yeah, maybe, maybe not, but you know, I can see the appeal sometimes of like doing your part. You would totally be like a scrappy Kusei Raw, so I hundred percent. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I love that this is like kind of right up your alley, but Megan was the one who found it and it I was know. I mean, it was just such a random find. Yeah, it shocks me that this yeah. was Megan's. <laughs> Like all joking aside about what motivates Megan to make the choices she does, we really are truly grateful she brought this gem of a drama into our lives. Into the ring in a nutshell. Gusei Ra, expertly played by Nana, is a down-on-her-luck 20-something who can't seem to hold down a job. It might have a little something to do with her being notorious at the civil complaints office, because no matter how small the injustice, Gusei Ra does not bite her tongue, whether it's in the community or on the job. So when a seat in the local Mawang District Assembly unexpectedly opens, Seira sees it as an opportunity to work very little and get paid very much, thereby paying off her mom's secret debt. So what's a girl to do? She gets herself elected. That's what she does, much to the chagrin of Se Kong Myung, a public officer who does not like to ruffle anyone's feathers, nor be the recipient of any feather ruffling himself. He is the betaist beta hero to ever beta, and when his feelings betray his impassive expression and he involuntarily smiles, it is everything. Together, Seira and Kong Myung ruffle the hell out of their small town, and what started as a simple financial means to an end quickly turns into a story of hope, love, and finding purpose in the places you never knew to look. And of course, romance. According to a medium piece written by Chelsea Messenger, our two leads have phenomenal chemistry. Who knew zoning ordinances could feel so steamy? (laughs) I like that. I love that so much. Still not sold? Megan and Leah give the listeners a one-sentence pitch for a drama we all truly loved. A heroine who never gives up along with a hero who stands proudly at her back, shake up a small town, fall in love, and learn that they are stronger than they ever thought they could be. That's cheesy, but that's what I'm going with. So mine was speaking truth to power, but quirky. (laughs) I like yours better. Well, so I had a couple of other things just I wanted to like add in this area. So I was really surprised that the ratings for this drama were so low. They were even lower by full percentage points than I Am Not a Robot, which, you know, was kind of considered like a ratings flop. And it's on a free to air channel that didn't, it's not a channel you need a cable subscription for. So I'm floored that it has not had a better reception because it really just feels like a slice of life underdog story that comes good. And so then I ended up like, obviously like looking around and the only credit I could find for the writer uh, who is Moon Kyung Kyung is that she's the author of a book that I found on Amazon called Politics? Question mark. Why? Question mark. Which was a great oh title. <laughs> and Amazon's translation yeah. of the blurb is really clunky, but I felt like there was some core story at work here. So I want to read the blurb and like it is a little clunky because they're translating it from Korean. So life is a luxury when it comes to living expenses, student loans, and monthly rent in a dismal monthly salary. So I cannot help but deal with the things that are not interested in the present day. 
The older generation speaks politics in their own language, and there seems to be no intervention in that place. Our generation does not believe that the power to change every day is in politics. Politics is considered to be more of an older generation than ours. So it's a little bit of like a Hmm. butchered blurb, but I felt like, look, Mm -hmm. I've heard before that like us authors and writers, we all have like these core stories that live within us and we spend our life basically like working them out in different ways through different books or projects. And for me, I feel like this idea of like, yeah, speaking truth to power and like figuring out how young people reconcile like the reality of what they've been given in a political system that doesn't work for them. I'm really curious to see what Moon Hyun Kyung does next. So do I think this is like my top drama of the year? No, but it was damn good and certainly deserves a lot more recognition. Yeah, thank you for finding that thing about the book. That's really interesting. Yeah, I really love that blurb. And I mean, again, yeah, you're right. The translation's clunky, but I got a gist of what she was trying to say. I feel that that's echoed in the drama, truly do, because it really is a little bit about the young because the main leads are, are younger than especially the older politicians. And it does feel like they're trying to make politics what they want it to be. Yeah, except for like the one Banaka. There's like the Banaka guy, right? Who's kind of like oh my gosh, younger, yeah, middle-aged. Oh so funny. Yeah. <laughs> but beyond that, they're really mostly older. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So this is going to be our non-spoiler section. So anybody who's listening right now, we're going to talk about the drama for a little bit without giving too much away. So stick with us and then we'll give you a warning when we get to the more spoilery part. So before we even get to the nuts and bolts of this story, let's talk about how visually stunning Into the Ring is. Without being too spoilery, what is your favorite scene from this drama from a purely visual perspective? So I've mentioned the scene on the podcast before briefly, but I need to bring it up again in the actual Into the Ring podcast because it's truly one of the most epic scenes um, I've ever seen. So this isn't super spoilery, so I think it's okay. Uh, Sayra is trying to bring attention to a golf resort that is placed too close to citizens' homes, so it's creating a hazard. But the counselor is ignoring her and her concerns. Uh, So she disrupts an event run by the head of the city's council by waltzing in, wearing, you know, a one-piece jumper like a mechanics outfit and thick boots she's holding a golf club and i mean she's walking with swagger so in slow motion she kicks over a bucket of golf balls that scatter all over the lobby then she tees up and she sends a golf ball directly into a poster of the councilwoman's face and of course it gets lots of publicity which is what she wanted so i mean without giving spoilers it's just a visually stunning scene and there also is an emotional you know layer under it there's a reason she's doing it and there's repercussions that come afterwards which are fantastic so i just i love the scene every time i think of into the ring i feel like this is one of the first things that pops in my head so you know i did look up the writer so i looked up the director who is wong sung gi and he has directed a number of specials before into the ring and also has two other dramas under his belt Radio Romance from 2018 and Justice from 2019, which are both also on KSBS, which is the station that Into the Ring was on. And Justice, just as a fun fact, has the same two leads as Into the Ring, Nana and Park Sung um, Hoon, who, and also, and this is what I thought was especially of interest to our Afternoon Delight folk, is our Bay Choi Jin Hyuk, who is in Mr. Queen and is in our upcoming Deep Dive of Zombie Detective. So Justice looks like a fun cast. Both Mm -hmm. of these dramas did have better ratings, but that's not why I wanted to check them out. I was just trying to get a sense of like where they're at, like with like being a fun, visually constructed drama. 
Um, and I really didn't get a sense from like looking around. I will say that like Into the Ring didn't feel anywhere near as manic as say Antique Bakery, which <laughs> is a film that we deep dive back in spring, but it did have like some alignment and that it felt more indie than many of the shows that we watch. And I didn't want to get into a specific scene because I didn't want to repeat the ones that like I knew you were going to touch on and I didn't want to get spoilery. And so I just thought that like I would kind of just address the fact that I think a lot of the fun in like watching this drama came down to the camera work and Mm -hmm. the reliance on wide angle lenses, which can cause like slight distortion and accentuate movement. And I'm not a cinematographer, nor can I spell the word. Um, but wide angle lenses, I wrote it down and I was like, very bad. Um, but wide angle lenses can be used when a director wants to have a more subjective point of view to create a larger frame for the character and the setting. And given that the vast majority of this drama is in Guse Ra's point of view and the, her interpretation of the events that are unfolding around her, and that she's a character who's larger than life. I would say that this camera shooting works, especially when it's coupled with the liberal use of a fisheye lens as well, which does a great job of kind of subtly highlighting all of her facial micro movements, which are honestly incredible. I love that because it's so true. The way the way they do the wide angle lenses, they do really accentuate yeah, their, their expressions. And it also just makes you feel like you're right there. It makes you feel like you're right there talking to them. I'm so blown away by how so many K-drama actors were first K-drama idols, like as singers and how they're equally good at both. And and Nana is one of those. And it was one scene where they were doing a vote where she, when she was chairman, and this isn't a spoiler, but there was a scene where she, they were doing a vote and it had that like wide lens close up on her face and the way that she reacted to the vote, there was no words to it. It was just totally nuanced, like facial expressions. But I felt every bit of emotion that she was feeling because of how well she did it. And it was just fantastic. And it's because of the way they shot it that you saw it like that. So yeah, that's what makes me feel bummed that this is like not as popular as I feel like the right the story itself is solid. The directing I think is really creative and fun. And then it like really serves well the acting, which is incredibly good. So I feel like the whole trifecta of like what makes a drama a home Mm -hmm. run like slam dunk is at work in this And then just like lastly, I did see also online that, you know, there's like some thought that visually this drama was inspired likely by a 2018 film called The Favorite. And this is a black comedy that um, stars Olivia Coleman, Rachel Wise, and Emma Stone. And I'm going on a limb to say that you all probably haven't seen it because it's a period piece that centers around Queen Anne, the <laughs> British monarch, who is unfortunately remembered for losing all of her children in pregnancy and right after birth, like 12 children plus. I do remember when this children. movie was out. Like, didn't Olivia Coleman get an Academy Award for this? Yeah. I feel like somebody in, in the film got an Academy Award. Yeah. Yeah, I think she does. If not, they were they, they were all nominated for sure. But, they were at I least mean, nominated, like, you know, yeah. Losing your that many children is enough to make anyone unstable. So like the main character, the queen, is like definitely out there. But the movie, like I love this movie, even though it's like really uncomfortable. But it was shot, like thinking back, it was shot in a very similar way. And it allowed the cast, I felt like, to really showcase like a whole like bunch of characterizations wonderfully and i do recommend just like as a non sequitur to check that movie out because while it is a period piece it's like a very bizarre black comedy more than a period piece and you'll never look at rabbits the same way again that makes me a little bit nervous ever that makes me nervous yeah it makes me still like freak out okay (laughs) anyway (laughs) 
moving on to anyone else who's got like a visually stunning yeah. scene they'd like to talk I about. I mean, I'm not going to talk about a specific scene, but I'm going to talk about a location that, that we see over and over again. First of all, I want to agree with Megan's golf scene. Like when you told us about that scene, I was like so on the edge of my seat waiting for it, Megan. Then when I finally saw it, you could talk about it all you want, but to see it is, it's pretty freaking amazing. And I love that scene so much. But second to that for me was whenever Kusera was on the colored bench by the neon sunset land sign, um, especially if it was a scene that included her and Kong Myung kissing. So for those not familiar with the drama, this outdoor spot is Kusera's special place, like where she goes to think and reflect. And then when, you know, when the romance starts heating up and she finally invites Kong Myung to share her secret spot with her, but she doesn't just invite him. She takes like a really weird like picture of it where you can only see like part of the sign and she's like, you know, can you guess where I am? Mm-hmm. And then that's like a whole little thing, like with him trying to find, you know, where she is and everything like that. But there's just every time you're in that location, it's either something really major has just happened, whether it's really good or really bad. And it just it, it keeps it, it's like this continuous thread throughout the the drama. And I loved it. And the sign is just it's pretty. And it's always, you know, she's always there when it's dark outside and the sign is lit and the bench like different squares of different colors along the bench. And I don't know, it's just like the colors in this drama. Like I just can't get enough of it. I agree. Yeah. Such great colorists. So speaking of visual, what are your thoughts on Kusera's hair? So you know how people say New York is a character on Sex and the City, the American TV show? Well, that's how I feel <laughs> about, <laughs> that's how I feel about Sarah's hair. It was its own character. Yeah, hundred percent. Like her hair always matched the tone of the scene as it pertained to her character. So if she was frazzled, so was her hair. And if she was in control and ready to serve up a can of whoop ass a la the golf ball scene, then her hair was tamed and well coiffed and, you know, just made her look even more badass. And finally, since we seem to have a visual theme going for the spoiler free section, can we please discuss Kong Young's transformation from never cracking a smile to giving us a blip of his shy, embarrassed smile to always smiling when he sees Sayra? I love this hero so much. Yeah, well, first of all, his glow up when he styled his hair off his face, like, changed my life. Um, he's so <laughs> dour and and unemotionally available in the beginning of this drama. So much that he doesn't even get that he likes her. He just knows that he keeps doing things for her and worrying about her. Like, I remember he stands in line for 30 minutes for dumplings for her. And he's, like, mad about it. Like, he's mad he's doing it. He's annoyed the whole time, but he still does it. And you can tell he doesn't even know why. Like, he's just so, I think he's just repressed his emotions for so long that he doesn't know what it means. So it's really a revelation to him when he realizes that he's doing all this because he likes her. And I really think they are the definition of better together. Um, they're a great team. Mm-hmm. They support each other and they make each other happy. I love the fact that he doesn't even get that he likes her. Like, she knows how she feels about him, but he's like, no, I don't feel that way. And then he's like, oh, shit, I think I do. But that nervous smile, like when he was so unsure about himself smiling in front of her, was the first to undo me. And then, yes, the glow up, which was really only the slightest change from the bowl cut to showing yes. a little bit of forehead. Like, I never knew forehead was so hot, but I guess that explains <laughs> my know, love of the, so true. of the Korean man, right? The, the Korean man updo compared to the bowl cut, because it's like, you see a little bit of that forehead, it's like, damn, yeah, like such a difference. <laughs> I love it. It's just like a little bit of leg, a little bit of forehead. So good. <laughs> like all of a sudden, like there, like the first episode came where it was just like kind of split and nobody can see what I'm doing. It's just kind of split in the middle. It wasn't like a full update. It wasn't like Parks of June. It wasn't like Secretary, Secretary Kim. Kim. Yeah. Like, it wasn't the calm. Yeah. It wasn't the full comma. 
<laughs> the full comma haircut. I love the comma just haircut. This little sneak of forehead, and it was like, damn, that makes all the difference. Like, totally changed. Totally, totally does. Changed. Yeah, I, oh, I really love this guy. Yeah, he was into it later. Yeah, but before we get to our spoiler section, we're going to do our favorite segment of the week, which is our K-pop recommendation. And we know what Megan wants to talk about tonight. So Megan, hit us with some ATs. I'm so excited. Tease us. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to. No, I had it's to. fine. I accept it. So ATs, so that's spelled A-T-E-E-Z, had their comeback this week. Obviously, it'll be delayed when you listen to this. But uh, so the song is called Deja Vu. And it's really fun. It's incredibly catchy. The guys show some abs in the music video. I mean, it's just, it's a little sexy. I love it. I love it so much. So I'm going to put it on um, our Spotify playlist. But yeah, I hope you check it out. So that's, again, Deja Vu by ATs. Uh, so we also want to announce that we have started a Patreon. So if you're not familiar with Patreon, basically you can be subscribers or patrons to us. Uh, but basically what we are doing there is offering more content that we can't through the pod or on social media. So And that includes a bonus episode every month. Uh, we'll be posting in there more. We'll have polls uh, where you can vote on what dramas you want us to deep dive. I'll be talking probably more about K-pop in there uh, just for fun. And we really want to make it a community where you can come talk about K-dramas. Uh, you know, one thing when we started this podcast that we keep getting feedback from people is they don't really have anyone in their personal lives that want to hear them talk about K-dramas as much as they want to talk about them. And so we want to provide that to our listeners, a, a space and a community to talk about K-dramas and our love and all that good stuff. So we hope you check us out on Patreon. We'll have the links in the bio, but you can also search for us at Afternoon Delight Podcast. Yay, we're so excited. Yeah, super excited about it. And then in the meantime, if like you're new to us and you haven't heard us shill it for like 500 times or 40 episodes, please do also check us out at Afternoona Delight Podcast on Instagram and also on Twitter, where you can also join in the fun. And now we're going to hit our spoiler section of the podcast, which means if you have not watched Into the Ring and you don't want us to spoil the rest of the story for you, then this might be your time to say ta-ta for now and go and watch the drama. Otherwise, if you don't mind knowing some of the ins and outs of the drama before you watch, then hang with us as we continue to deep dive this very delightful gem. Gusei Ra has been writing complaints in her notebooks since she was a teen. As an adult, she's legitimately filed complaints in her local community too many times to count. So when she lands a seat on the local assembly in a by-election, she claims it's a way to make easy money to pay off her mother's debt. Based on what you know of her character, though, do you truly believe she would have rested on her laurels if she actually got paid? Which she never did, actually. So first, I just want to mention how much I loved that at the complaint office, of the city that she had a nickname tiger moth and like they all wanted yeah. to avoid her <laughs> because she was just so tenacious i just adored that but 100 percent, no I, d I don't think she would have rested on her laurels i almost feel like most of the drama her saying it was only about money was both true and false it was about money but her running for office was also about so much more she could have quit when she wasn't getting paid but at that point she had already started fighting to make a change even when the battle was uphill both ways in the snow 
Yeah. I mean, the fact that she never got paid and stuck it out really speaks volumes to her character. Like the money was important, but doing right by the people that she served was more important. And that was evident to me from the beginning. Yeah, I think that I also though love that money was vital to her story somehow. Like it kind of reminded me in some ways of someone like AOC, like going off to Capitol Hill, because like how often do we see someone who's truly from the working class, especially a woman, being able to ascend into a role of meaningful political power? And yes, she was making decisions that were like morally justified and important. And yet at the same time, I thought that I just appreciated so much that she never batted an eye and the fact that she was like, yo, I got to pay my bills and make some money. And I think that this resonates too, because in this country, I feel like there's all this lip service of like, this is the land of opportunity and anyone can like rise up and like become president and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, like, let's be real. I think that like money almost always equals power for us here in this country. And so it was refreshing to just feel hopeful, even for these like 16 episodes that look, we could all probably do better in government than the fools who think that they should belong there just due to their status, wealth and privilege. So I liked her just coming in like a wrecking ball and being like, you know what, here I am. And I am here because like, I want to make money, but I'm also here to just like figure some shit out and get some stuff done. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was real. She still needed to pay bills. She said she had to make money. <laughs> she had to eat. <laughs> she had a job. Yeah. Yeah. And I just felt like all the politicians when they were like, we will forego our salary. I'm like, of course you will. Because like, you don't need it. You're, you're independently wealthy. AF. probably. Yeah. 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 Right. She's the only one who needed it. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. So backstory, because yes, our hero and heroine were friends as kids, but there are no forgotten brothers or kidnappings resulting in switch memories. <laughs> there is, however, a resort fire that kills Kong Myung's little brother and forever causes a rift in Kong Myung's relationship with his father, Congressman Joe, a man who seems like he will do whatever it takes to get ahead in politics. Did you do like Amy did and wait for the big reveal that proved Congressman Joe was really only on the path he was to expose those responsible for this Sarang resort fire? Or were you unsurprised to find out that he sold out both his dead and living son to keep climbing the political ladder? So I guess because I wanted a familial HEA for Kong Young, especially after the tragic loss of his brother and then his mother, you know, leaving his father, I secretly hoped that something would come out that would expose his father as somehow doing right by his family. But nope. He sold his family out, like literally replaced Kong Myung with Min Jae, and only showed one tiny shred of love for his son when Kong Myung finally exposed him. And they had that meetup, I think, was it like an underground train tracks or something? It was like in a tunnel, I feel like. Yeah, and, it was. Yeah. And Congressman Joe clapped him on the shoulder and basically kind of shrugged like, well, I guess this is it. <laughs> like, I can do no more. And mm -hmm. it was, I mean, it was messy and sad, but I also believe it gave Gong Myung closure so that he could move on with his new sort of found family that he found with Sarah and her friends and, you know, her parents. Yeah. And I think, look... I kept, for some reason, expecting more to come from the fire. Like, I think Same. I really wanted, like, a flashback. Or maybe, I just kept thinking that, like, actually, I was probably more cynical than you, Amy. And that I was expecting, like, to find out he that Congressman Joe was somehow actively complicit in the fire. <laughs> so, I mean, like, I cared about the fire, but not on the emotional level that I think that I needed. And we touched on this at the beginning, but another name for the drama is Memorial. 
And, you know, that's a nod to the fact that Gusei Ra discovered the abandoned memorials of those who died in the Sarang Resort fire many years ago at the construction site, um, including Gong Myung's little brother, Zhang Dae. And look, I mean, it's gross. His dad used his death for political gain. And so personally, I was totally fine that this denied the congressman a redemption arc. And, you know, yeah, sure, he apologized to his son that he did this, but really it only happened because he lost the election and was exposed as a big fat con by his living son. So I thought it was satisfying that the hero rejected the apology. I think I just really wanted to have like more emotional investment in the accident because I totally believe that they all were impacted. But like since, I don't know, I just didn't understand, like we get all these we even get flashbacks to them as like children, but I'm like, give me the fire as a flashback. Like make me feel some like awfulness, I guess, about the fire more than just like knowing it's kind of just awful because a fire that kills people is just fundamentally bad. We were we were told about it rather than shown it. And that made a big yeah. difference, I think. Yep. I didn't even think about Congressman Joe trying to expose those responsible. I don't I don't know. That didn't cross my mind, but I think that I see like why you could kind of be hoping for that. Um, I did think he was kind of slimy. And I find in this drama, I find this drama interesting because we know filial piety is very important in Korean culture. Almost all the dramas we see, it's it's a really big plot point that, you know, the kids don't want to disappoint uh, their parents and things like that. And I just felt like this drama was just like, screw that and totally turned, Gong Myung broke the mold of what we usually see and completely uh-huh. turned his back on his father. And I did think that was interesting. You know, he didn't forgive him and they didn't get a happily ever after or a reconciliation. It was harsh and it was brutal, you know, but I also kind of felt it was right for Gong Myung's character. To me, he seemed like the kind of person that, you know, he cuts you off and that's it. He's done. He's not going back. Uh-huh. So thoughts on how Kong Myung was a beta hero. But even though his story might have played out second seat to say Ross, he was not a water bottle hero like we've seen with some of our heroines. Yeah, I just love this hero so much. Like he supported Sarah unconditionally, but he didn't let her railroad him, which I thought was really important. It was a great example of how an alpha and a beta can work when they are both secure in their personalities and their roles in the relationship. Like, you know, I don't remember which one of you mentioned before that they are both better, like truly better together. And it is because I think they have that security in who they are, that it's able to work as well as it did. Mm -hmm. So look, I, I do love a good beta hero. And I really, I think that they're really hard to do right. And I also think that beta heroes are sort of hard to pin down as a definition. So to me personally, like, a well-done beta hero is confident. He might not have like a ton of swagger, but he's somebody that's secured himself and is not like sitting on a throne of emotional boo-boos. So I really liked a description for a beta hero that I found by romance author Talia Hibbert. And she wrote this on Frolic and it gave me life. And it was, a beta hero is like finding a unicorn, a man who wants to give you many orgasms, but doesn't want to conquer you. So while I always have time for an alpha, and yes, sometimes even those conquering alpha holes, I do think (laughs) finding a really good beta can be totally thrilling. Yeah, so the way Kang Myung supported Seira without taking any of the spotlight for himself uh, will always be something I'll never forget about his character. He never, he just never made anything about him. And, you know, kind of rare <laughs> the male species uh he was a true definition of a supportive beta backing up an alpha female um so one scene 
I always remember is when Sayrah is participating in the sports competition for the council. And I don't remember why she had to win. There was some, I don't remember. I just know that like it was, it was kind of important. It was to get the three dudes vote. Oh, that's it. If she, you're right. You're right. Thank you, Amy. So it was like, she really, really needed to win. And so she's running on the track as hard as, as hard as she can. And we get that scene and it's great, you know, but later in the drama, they show that scene again. And this time the camera pans over and you, you see that Kang Myung was running along with her slightly behind, but right there the whole time supporting her, his eyes on her. And just thinking about that physical support and like kind of and mental support is just it gives me chills it's just so Mm -hmm. special it was like this unconditional selfless support like he was just there for her yeah yeah but i also felt like he was like happy with like i mean well he wasn't happy he like was sad and always looking at his fish tank but like i felt like he was a fully like i i didn't feel like he was somebody that like i felt like she yeah better together but it wasn't like he I don't know. Like, yeah, there wasn't like this clingy, like, I don't want to. Yeah. I feel like he was there for her because he, but he had self-respect. I think that's like the point. Yes. yes. He was there for her with his competence because he's very competent at what he does. And so he supported her because he was confident in what he could do to help her. Like, he's like, I know there were times where she would maybe seek someone out, someone else out to help her. And he's like, no, I'm the best one to help you. Even when they were in the fight and he was not her secretary anymore, right. and his, his buddy was her secretary, he was yep. still doing all the work. Like still doing the all the work. And he didn't and like he didn't want credit for it. That's right. the thing. It's not like he was he wasn't making it about himself. He didn't want the glory. He's just like, look, I want you to succeed and I know that I can help you because I'm I'm competent. Because he was. Mm-hmm. He wasn't I, I never thought I never felt like he had low self-confidence. I mean, maybe like romantically he wasn't sure what he was doing. Yeah, no, I don't. I feel like he was annoyed, though. He wasn't just like doing the job, whatever. He was like, whatever, like you suck, but I'm doing it. Like, okay, I work at an institution and like, I know that like, you know, Amy, you work at like a school and there's bureaucracy at the school. I feel like working in higher ed has like some good connection to local government and that like, it is a bureaucratic machine. And like, many of us staff are like little ants keeping this like massive bureaucracy going. And so I feel like, yeah, I like resonate on that level with him of doing it. And I felt like he would do his job, even if he saw somebody else was like slacking or giving him things to do that like were kind of questionable. And it wasn't because he was weak. It's because like he valued doing the job right. And he also was then judging like the people who were like, you know, being lazy. (laughs) If that makes sense. Totally. If you weren't a good if you weren't like a productive worker, he totally judged you because to him that 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 was very important. It was very important to be productive and good at your job. And I think that's one of the reasons he fell in love with, with Sarah because she was she worked so hard and he saw how hard yeah. she worked for what she wanted. Yep. I loved him. I miss him. And this makes me want to watch the drama again. Like now I want to watch it again. I want to rewatch <laughs> Well, I was just saying like leadership also is like, you know, there's folks who are leaders who like are out in front and like making the sale or making the case or like the public face. And I feel like that's like a goose raw, definitely. And then there's like the worker bee who is like the behind the scenes person. But if you don't have a really good behind the scenes person, that person out in front is just not going to like they're going to fall over. And so I just felt like he was like, 
the quintessential kind of like man behind the curtain. Not that she had no agency because she certainly did. Right. But it really just shows like that's the value of a really good partnership in all aspects of things. Mm -hmm. So while we didn't really have a secondary romance going on in this drama, we did have some secondary characters who either were romantically involved with our leads or wanted to be. And I'm talking about Yoon Hee Soo, another congresswoman who was often Sarah's rival and Kim Min Jae, Sarah's ex and Congressman Joe's secretary. So what are your thoughts on these two, one or both or whatever, and the parts they played in both the politics of the story and the romance? Look, I want a whole drama spinoff on Kim Min Jae. Like <laughs> at the beginning, I felt like he was like, oh, the bad boyfriend that like many of us have had in the past. Like the one that we give so much up for only yeah. for him to take, 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 take. And then like stop even giving us like good sex as like compensation. <laughs> and so I felt like he had this really good redemption and you know, in the end, I felt like he really cared and was a decent human deep down. I think his character was really focused at the beginning on like advancing in the political sphere and he was playing the game. But in the end, he leaves the ring and he does it to like save his soul. And the actor also just like incidentally is Han Jun Woo, who is also in Be Melodramatic, which is on my fall must watch list. But what I'm really excited and I'm just going to slip it in because I'm going to slip in Pachinko talk at any point as it we're like leading up to this is he is going to be in the upcoming miniseries for Pachinko, the one that Lee Min Ho will be in. And he is playing Joseph and Joseph, when we get to that, is just a character that I loved and hated all mixed up. And for those of you who have read the book, like, I just think that it's a very nuanced role. And I feel like this actor, I felt like Kim and Jay's character had nuance. And I felt like Han Jun Woo really like did a good job bringing that nuance to life. And I think he's going to deliver in this role also for Pachinko. So I'm so excited. Yeah, I really liked kind of with both these characters. I'll start with Hisu, like with Hisu's motivations, like we never really knew whose side she was on. And that in the end, she did choose morality over simply stepping on others to get ahead. And I feel like that was the same, like you said, to save his soul with Min Jae. He did initially choose climbing the social and political ladder over his relationship with Sarah. But in the end, when he saw how ugly politics could get, he too chose morality and chose letting Sarah find happiness with Kong Myung rather than trying to interfere. Because I feel like we see that mm -hmm. a lot in dramas where exes come back and and a lot of times, like, without any reason whatsoever, but to just throw, like, a wrench into the romance, that exes come back and try to get their, their ex-lover back. And we didn't have that here. We had, like, a messy fallout of a relationship and a guy whose motivations we didn't quite understand. And I think he didn't quite understand his motivations either. And when push came to shove, he did, like you said, he got out of the ring and you know, saved his soul. And I, I really liked that. So I think I thought even though we didn't have a secondary romance that we had some really great secondary characters. So who were some of your favorite members of the supporting cast? Like Sarah's friends, Sarah's parents, golf ball granny. So I really like Sarah's mom. I, really, I just I don't know, there's something really endearing about her. And even if she really she started kind of the whole mess of the drama by going into to debt by making a mistake, essentially, she was kind of scammed. But seeing her mobilize her outfits and songs to support her daughter's campaign was just epic. And you know what? So we did do like a little bit of research during the campaign. They have songs. They have like a specific color. It's a whole thing. Choreographed dancing. Choreographed dancing. And that is correct. Like that is, that that's is how a, they do. That is, that's a Korean thing. And personally, I love it. I would love to see that. 
in uh in american, in, uh, politics. american politics oh my god can you imagine so like, anyway at I least loved it would it. make it entertaining right yeah i really i really loved it but yeah sarah's mom was just was just really funny i mean when she because <laughs> it was like they were kind of like a scrappy little campaign yes. you know what i mean it was really only sarah and her two friends and then her mom joined and was just like like took control because her mom was like a really really good campaigner and uh yeah i just love that i love sarah's mom's outfits and routines to campaign for her daughter like they were everything and I mm. also loved the little boy, Jab Young, who hung out at, at the comic book shop. He was often more insightful into what was going on with the adults than the adults themselves were. And it was his webcomic that convinced Sarah that she was meant to go back into politics, that the heroes don't sit by and let other people fight the battles, but that they sort of, are you ready? I'm going to make the title work, get into the ring and fight for the underdogs themselves. So I love that he kind of pointed out to her that she's the hero and she should be doing the fighting because even though you know she decided not to run for re-election after her term was up that eventually she didn't know what else she was supposed to do and he kind of made her see like this is what you're meant for like you're meant to fight the good fight for those who can't and i thought that was really cool mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what do you think was sayra's biggest accomplishment in her short term as a congresswoman I think she and Kang Myung shook up a lot, which was good. I mean, you know, because the whole the whole assembly was different by the time her term was up. But the thing that really stuck with me is that even if they weren't able to keep the name of Sarong District from changing, that Sarah and Kang Myung were able to save the memorial of those who died in the resort fire. And so that even in a loss, they had this like small win. And I also loved all the wordplay with the name of the district because it was synonymous for love. So that, you know, that thread kind of ran throughout mm -hmm. the whole drama too. Yeah, that was really sweet. So did you ever for one second think Sayra was going to quit politics after she decided not to run for reelection? If she did truly steer clear of politics, what else could you see her doing? I thought the polar bear party bit at the end was pretty funny. And I'm glad there was like this nod that she'd go back into the ring because look, as much as I love this hero, like I kind of give him a wag of the finger for telling her no more politics. I'm like, mm -hmm. you don't tell Goose Ra to do anything. <laughs> no one puts Goose Ra in a corner. <laughs> That's right. But then I was like, look, I also really don't believe he'd stop her. Like if she wants to go back, if she's going to even go back as like part of the polar bear party, he's going to be right there <laughs> helping her along. And then I thought for other careers, you know, look, I'm biased, but I think she'd be an amazing podcast host. And I would love her to have like some like renegade show where she's like forever detailing like, you know, stories, writing the wrongs in suburban soul. <laughs> yes. I also think she'd make an excellent reviewer for Amazon products. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. She loves amazing. free shit. And I think she'd be great at talking it up. And I vote for her to operate a series of green juice franchises. Yes. 100%. Oh my gosh, that girl, that's amazing. amazing. She, yeah. She sold her ass some green juice. Oh my God, she did. So, she worked hard. I still can't believe she, she carried did. that damn bag of juice all like all over. <laughs> I can't believe that's a thing. Like that people I do. I want to buy. I some know. Juice I now. was like, I want to buy yeah. some juice. <laughs> okay, so why is this much like we all felt about "I Am Not a Robot," a drama not to be missed? For me, the biggest thing I want listeners to know about this drama is that it's different. It's fresh. I haven't seen these characters before. And I also think the casting was spot on. It's unique. It's funny. And it's romantic. Yeah. I mean, like, again, like, I can't believe, 
like I didn't check the ratings. I can't believe that this got lower ratings than I'm Not a Robot. They're both like absolute gems of dramas mm-hmm. that they just bring pure and utter joy. I don't think that this was as emotionally gripping as I'm Not a Robot, but mm-hmm. I don't think that makes it any less of a drama. I think it's a totally different thing. And it was just, it was beautiful and refreshing and I, I just adored it. So what is a romance book recommendation with a great beta hero? So, okay. So for this, um, we kind of went with like a great beta hero. And, you know, I talked about um, author Talia Hibbert a little earlier in her like great quote about, you know, unicorn beta who's going to like give you orgasms, but not try to conquer you, which I just love. So a book that she wrote, because I want to recommend one of her books today, is called A Girl Like Her. And that is book one in the Ravenswood series. And it has a beta ex-military hero, like Hello, and then a Black (laughs) autistic plus-sized heroine. So these are two leads written with depth and nuance. So here's the blurb for it. And I feel like the blurb is great. Between her autism, her comic book nerdery, and the whiff of scandal her small town can't forget... Ruth will always be Ravenwood's black sheep. Since she prefers silence and solitude to gossip and pub crawls, that suits her just fine until Evan Miller comes to town. Ex-military man Evan is gorgeous, confident, and he's Ruth's new neighbor. Unlike everyone else here, he doesn't seem to mind her crotchety ways or her cooking disasters. In fact, if Ruth didn't know any better, she might think Evan likes her. But Ruth has been burned before. And some lessons are hard to forget. She can't let her guard down, no matter how many home-cooked meals Evan brings over. Because affection is temporary, trust is made to be broken, and the heat of desire is a dangerous thing to play with. So why does this man feel so safe? That sounds awesome. Yes. I adore that last line. Why does he make her... Why does why does the man make her feel so safe? Because isn't that what you always want? That's Someone what you who want. makes you feel safe? Yeah. Absolutely. So what are we watching? So I need to catch up and watch the last two episodes of Hospital Playlist, but I have gone back to, I've gone back to Zombie Detective now that I finished uh, Into the Ring because Zombie Detective is coming up as one that we're going to deep dive for fun around uh, Halloween. And it's, I mean, it's just right now I'm like halfway through and it's still just kind of silly and fun. I mean, like you, I can't, It's a zombie pretending to be human who puts on makeup every day to look human, who teaches himself to talk and act like a human. And it's just funny because, I mean, this is no big spoiler, but like the heroine midway through finally finds out that he's a zombie and they're like working together on some stuff. She's trying to help him figure out who he was before he died because his death is is a mystery and he's helping her with some other stuff. And there's just this scene that I saw today where they go to this like beef tripe restaurant and she orders an order for him and it's her friend who owns the restaurant and she's about to put it like you know in the cooker and she's like no no no, we'll cook it ourselves because she knows he needs to eat it raw (laughs) so there's like there's a lot of raw there's a lot of raw meat eating going on in this drama (laughs) which i was not prepared for but you know it's not it's not uh it's not people eating so i'm I'm doing okay (laughs) I actually saw a clip on, it was either like YouTube or Instagram or something, but it was, it was the lead from Zombie Detective. I forget his, I forget the actor's name now. Chajin Hook, who we were just talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And he sees, I think it's his like niece or nephew, or I think it's, I think they're kids that are related to him. He's wearing the makeup from Zombie Detective and the kids are 
freaking terrified. Like they start oh, screaming, and he's no. like, "It's me, it's me!" And they're like, ah. "I mean, when he is a zombie, he they do a good job. Like with the they do. Know, I mean, they do. Yeah." So I finished startup because that is coming up for us to deep dive. I will save all my gushing for the podcast because I'll just say I really, really enjoyed it a lot, and. I am going to finish Zombie Detective now as well because, yeah, we're doing a fun Halloween special on it. And then I think I'm going to dig into Hospital Playlist. So for me, I am finishing up Hospital Playlist tonight, which is like bittersweet. It's going to be two hours of showtime. Um, so I'm very excited for that. However, this feels like friends. <laughs> like, I know it sounds so cheesy, but like, it feels like, I don't know, they feel like my like friends and family. And I don't know, I am so invested in these people that it's going to be hard to say goodbye. Um, so I'm really excited we get to talk about them soon. It's a wonderful task. It, it is. It's not cheesy. No, yeah. I mean, it's just it's understandable. Oh, I love them. Um, and then I um, am also doing Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha because uh, I love it and it's been really fun. It was definitely like a drama that like took me a little bit to like get into the rhythm of it. But now I'm just like really appreciating it for what it is and it makes me happy. And I will be starting um, Zombie Detective. So there you go. Hooray. And coming up next, I'm so excited. We are doing our second installment of the second male lead SOS. So next week, we will be talking about our second male leads who deserved a better ending in the dramas they were in. And we're going to be coming up with some creative ideas and how they could get their own happily ever afters. Yeah, Yay. you guys seem to like the first one that we did, and it was fun for us. So, so fun. thank you for the feedback, because that means we'll do it again. We'll probably keep doing it, because there is no shortage of second male leads. Not at all. Nope. Who deserve an HEA. So we'll yeah, this there. is like amazing therapy to do. It is, right? <laughs> And I actually have another one I want to do. Oh, I'm like so torn, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm going to stick with the one I thought. Like I keep going, like the sky's the limit, really. I just, oh, I yeah, have no, it is. I've had mine on my list for a long time. So I'm so excited. Yeah. I was okay. going to say, my, well, mine's as soon as I finished the drama, I'm not telling anyone, but yeah, I knew I was going to give him a, a happily ever after. So. Well, this just means we need to do another one like in winter because the one I'm not doing yeah. now, I'm not doing. For a lot of reasons that have to do with like y'all need to watch the drama and i feel like i would be oh. spoiling major things to like be talking about it yeah yeah i'm not even right. gonna talk oh, about yeah. what drama yeah. it is <laughs> okay now i'm curious well then that's it for today so thanks for listening everyone Annyeong. Annyeong. thank you for listening to afternoon of delight Make sure to subscribe for more great K-Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoon of Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast, behind-the-scenes photos, and, of course, pics of our favorite opas and unis. Annyeong! Annyeong!